This program is brought to you by the James Wilson Institute on Natural Rights in the American Founding. If you'd like to learn more about the James Wilson Institute, please visit jameswilsoninstitute.org. We hope you enjoy the program. Hello, and welcome to the Anchoring Truths podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Snedeker. Today, we're deeply pleased to welcome to the podcast someone who is faced with an enormous test of principle in one of the most charged moments in American history, and whose courage and faith provided him with the strength to emerge even more strongly from the experience. On July 31st, 2020, the Orlando Magic starting forward, Jonathan Isaac, was the lone NBA player not to kneel for the national anthem amid a league-wide demonstration in support of Black Lives Matter. Standing alone, knowing the scrutiny to come, Jonathan had a peace he at one time never could have imagined possible. In his new book, Why I Stand, Jonathan shares the journey of how, through a series of divine connections and a willingness to follow Christ, his fear and insecurity-driven life was transformed into one of confidence and purpose. We'll discuss what aspect of Jonathan's character shaped his decision to stand. We'll also discuss how he looks back on the decision today. Joining us on the podcast as well is Chloe Edwards, one of our interns at the James Wilson Institute. Chloe, why don't you get us started? All right, so we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. Um, Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Um, it's kind of one of the first questions we were we wanted to kind of hear your thoughts on were as we were reading your book, we just noticed that there were so many references to multiple people in your life that played like major roles into shaping you into the man that you are. Um, you mentioned Coach Gates, Bishop Dr. Hepburn, CJ, your wife. And so we were just like wondering if you would elaborate on how important to your success as an NBA player and individual it is to have wise counsel and mentorship in your life. Yeah, um, I mean, first off, obviously, thank you so much for having me. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I just think that it's 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 human and it's real for all of that to be in the book because that's that's how most of our lives are structured. Um, you know, even though in a lot of times we are kind of the the most valuable player in the setting in basketball or something like that, there are still so many other people around us that help us to to be who we are. And and reading the book, you'll get that instantaneously to you know my mom, my dad. Um, the names that you mentioned, all the different people who were able to drop seeds of inspiration and hope in my life or just love or just be there to love me through some of the things that I was going through um, was necessary for me to grow. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I just think that it's necessary. And, and a lot of times when we try to do things ourselves, we, we, we fall into um, places that we shouldn't be. Yeah, thank you. How do you how do you feel kind of elaborating off of that? How do you feel that as a professional competitor, having those kinds of people in your life, how's that helped you consistently maintain a high level of performance, um, especially when you're dealing with so much of the outside pressure of media as well? Um, how has having those people in your life really allowed you to, to continue to perform at that level? Well, I, I, they just, they, they help you stay grounded and they, they've helped me to stay grounded, um, you know, not get too high, not get too low, not allow the things that are going on around me to kind of affect me internally. 
And when you have people around you that love you, they see that they can see when you're off, they can see when you're up and you're down and, and they'll be able to, to, to minister to you and give you some encouragement or something that you need. And so if I had to do all of this by myself, go out there and play and, 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 and do all those things and not have a sounding board, not have anybody around me that I could truly share my feelings with, I, I wouldn't make it. And so that, that, that that's their way of helping me to compete. You know, they're not out there on the court with me, but they, 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 they're, they're a piece of me and they give me strength and encouragement to, to go out there and play my best. So, uh, Jonathan, um, let's go back to you know, spring 2020. We as an audience were able to see you stand for the two games you played uh, in the NBA bubble. But would you be willing to take us behind the scenes a bit to the locker room? What were the conversations like between your teammates and you both before and after your decision to stand? Yeah, it, it was such a crazy time, man. And, and, and guys and, and just people in general, the country was in such an emotional state so having any type of discourse or conversation around the things that were happening were really difficult because of the emotions of what people were feeling. And so as we got into the bubble and there was that whispering about, you know, teams and players and coaches all going to kneel for the national anthem, we had a, a team, not a, you know, pretty much a team only meeting, not just players, but the front office and all those guys. And the front office pretty much told us, hey, we support you guys and whatever you want to do. You guys make your decision and they all left the room. So it's just the players now. And everybody goes around and says, look, there's, there's no conversation to be had. This is a no brainer. We don't have an option. Um, we can't be the only team that doesn't kneel or, you know, wear the T-shirt. It just is what it is. And then one of my teammates turned towards me out of everybody and says, yo, Jonathan, what are you going to do? And to this day, it kind of makes me laugh because I'm like, why did, he, why did he just turn towards me? But probably because he knew that something, you know, something would have been up. And so I said to him, I said, hey, fellas, um, I'm not going to kneel and I'm not putting that t-shirt on and, you know, chaos erupts. Everybody's like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be terrible. Uh, we're going to be on the front page, all these different things. And, um, you know, certain guys were upset about it. Um, but you know, we had one guy who was an older guy on the team that said, look, everybody's going to do what they want to do. And he grabbed this stuff and left the room and everybody kind of trickled out from there. But, but again, just speaking to how, how crazy of a time that was, I, I don't, I can't think of another time in my life. I'm, I mean, you, you may, may be a little bit older than me Garrett, but, um, you know, time in my life where the country was in such, like, I would say disarray or, or divide over something that was going on culturally. And so um, it was just a weird time to be in and to, to kind of be an individual and have your own thoughts and feel how you feel about something, you would be really terrified and to voice that opinion because of the way that everybody was 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 going about things in kind of one majority way. Um, but I, I, th I think that's where, um, you know, obviously the book and the story all comes from because I was willing to, to choose an option that wasn't afforded to me. You know, uh, one of the things I, I noted at the time was that it was it was such an unprecedented moment we were living in because it was almost like we were living through three moments in one. It was the 1918 right. flu pandemic. It was the 1929 okay. stock market crash. And it was the 1968 um, summer of race riots all rolled up into one summer. And people, they just didn't know which one to react to first because so many um uh, people had valid concerns and which, uh, right, which of the three, um, you know, concerns, you know, were, were most important uh, to them. It was, it was, it was, I think, very difficult for um, people in our generation to make sense of it because there really was no um, uh, uh, you know, perfect analogy. Um, we were all just trying to figure it all out at the same time amidst being trapped in our homes in many cases. Um, you, of course, in the, in the bubble. Um, so how did those kind of, you know, uh, uh, three contexts um, alter your relationship and your interactions with your your teammates and players and, and staff? Well, I, I would say as time has went on, um, as, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter movement has, has kind of died down here as of late, COVID has kind of died down. 
those emotions have come down as well. And so guys aren't as, or just people in general, the country isn't as, I would say, rigid on, you know, a lot of these different things and guys are open to having conversations. And I had a conversation with a team. I don't even think it's detailed in the book, you know, later on, months later, and to where he said to me, you know, would you change anything about the way that you went about, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, the organization and all that stuff? And what I said to him was no. Um, to be honest with you, um, you know, again, I wasn't saying that Black Lives don't matter. I was saying that I don't agree with this solution and, and me pointing it back to Christ being the thing that we truly need to, to, to not only save our country, but to save us as individuals um, and our hearts. Uh, that was what I was uh, standing for. And then I asked him the same question. Well, what do you think? And, and his honest answer to me was, I, I think I, I, I kind of got lost in the movement um, where obviously the name Black Lives Matter, everyone agrees with. But as he got deeper and deeper into the protests and the different things that were going on, he started to see that maybe this is the answer that the black community needs. And, um, you know, was able to say that honestly. Mm-hmm. As you're as you were dealing with all all of the various variables that you were dealing with in the bubble and you're and you're somewhat isolated and you're away from the rest of the world trying to to perform at a high level. Um, I just really like really want to get down to the heart of the book. And that was kind of like, what was the principles that animated the decision to choose to stand? I mean, as you're standing in the locker room and, and, a, and you're a teammates looking directly at you in that moment, you have to make this decision that you're going to, you're going to stand and you're not going to wear that shirt. And you kind of just like break down for us a little bit. Like what was the, 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 why was, what was the core belief in that? And why did you make that decision in that moment? Yeah, the the core belief in it for me is that you can't beat hate with hate and you can't beat anger with anger. And as I as as I personally was able to examine the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that was going on, it was clear to me that that wasn't the spirit of what I I wanted to, you know, walk in. Again, even though I believe that Black Lives Matter and I believe the slogan, I didn't I didn't agree with the tone of the messaging that was around it. Um, And a lot of it kind of, you know, was off putting to me. And so it was for me to say. How can I, in this moment, um, as an individual, help in any way? Um, and then that goes into, you know, as you read the book, that the night before I decided to stand, I'm on the phone with my pastor, Dr. Hepburn, and I'm telling him, like, I don't think you understand how crazy this is going to be. Like, you know, I'm going to be a coon. I'm going to be an Uncle Tom. This is this is this is going to be crazy. Um, I hadn't signed my contract yet, so that was still up in the air. There were there were a lot of variables going on, and the thing he said to me was, "Look, you you cannot stand for God and God stand for you." And so, um, you know, again, back to those core principles, it was like, look, racism and, and all the other things that plague our society, I've experienced and, and know that there are heart issues and they're not going to be changed by an organization or a movement or a political party. They're going to be changed by people's hearts being changed. And I couldn't think of a better antidote for changing anybody's heart other than the gospel and pretty much seeing that we all fall short of God's glory. We're all we're all messed up and jacked up in so many different ways and it's so easy for us is kind of our human nature to when when we see someone do some, some something wrong, we're here with the stones and we're ready to stone them. And a lot of times we're throwing stones from a glass house. And so what I just wanted to do was stand up and say, look, I, I, I understand what's happening in the world is terrible, but I don't agree that the solution is wearing a T-shirt that says Black Lives Matter or kneeling for the national anthem. That's not going to be the thing that brings us together. What's going to bring us bring us together is everyone humbling themselves and saying, you know, what? I'm just as messed up and jacked up as the next person. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here. And so that's what I wanted to share. Oh, that's a, that, that's a compelling account. Um, for the benefit of our listeners um, who haven't read your book yet, I wanted to uh, share for them a story that you, that you told. Uh, after you stood for the national anthem, you referenced the first question you were asked in a uh, post-game press conference. The reporter asked, 
So you didn't kneel during the anthem, but you also didn't wear a Black Lives Matter shirt. Do you believe that Black Lives Matter? End quote. In your book, you stated your shock at such a question. Quote, being a Black man, I didn't think I would need to justify the value of my own life. But in that moment, being Black wasn't enough. Being Black didn't hold as much solidarity as wearing a T-shirt. Kneeling for the anthem to symbolize support for Black lives was no symbol at all. It was an order. And my allegiance to the cause was measured solely by my obedience to that command, end quote. How do you, as a Black man, navigate such questions which outrightly question whether you uh, do or do not value Black lives now? Yeah, I, I think what I tried to do with that, um, that sentence is kind of show how crazy the moment was, you know, that, that, that even as a black person, that wasn't enough to, 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 to justify me, me standing, like for me standing, it couldn't have been any other reason other than I don't believe black lives matter. And I think that speaks to just the, the, the craziness of the times, how many people were so, um, you know, in, in, in my estimation, a bit delusional about what was going on. Um, and, and just it, what it felt like to me was because we had this moral high ground because of what happened to George Floyd, we now can demand everyone to do exactly what we want them to do and, 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 and move forward like that. But again, that, that wasn't something that I agreed with. And so I just wanted to point out that, you know, in that moment, her asking me that question, you know, she, she was able to look past me being black in the first place and just say, well, you can't believe that black lives matter. Or if somebody or, or to that point, if, if somebody is, you know, secretly racist and they put the T-shirt on and they're, you know, then they're, you know, of allegiance or alliance. And so um, I, I think that, again, it just boils down to it being more about color, it being about character, it being about the individual that you are. And uh, um, I would have wished, I, I think, in the the way that it should have been, her first question should have been something like, well, you obviously care that Black Lives Matter because you're Black. Um, what is your reasoning in deciding to stand and not stand, not kneel with your kids? I think that first question would have kind of set me back even more. I said, oh, wow, you know, I didn't expect that. But, um, you know, to, to have that the first question, it really did kind of solidify you know, the craziness of the times. Do you feel like there's more of an appreciation for sort of what animated your decision now? Or do you still face those same kind of questions as you did um, in spring 2020? Well, I, I, def I wouldn't say there's, there's more of an appreciation. I think the more people that have learned about what I decided to do have, have, have you know, definitely have more people appreciate it. But I think that, I think that as time has gone on, more people have respected it. Um, as I've been able to tell the story and kind of have all those background details and everything that was going on in my life, they can take a step back and say, wow, you know, that was really something that was hard to do. You know, this, this, this young guy who didn't sign his contract yet, who in the past, uh, and is still working on and continue to deal with because it's a process, but has struggled with anxiety and fear was the lone person to stand because, you know, for something that he believed in um, and he chose to, to choose an option that wasn't available, that there, there was no other option other than to kneel and to wear the t-shirt. So he created his own. So um, I, I think people have come to respect it and, 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 you know, I, I wouldn't say so much appreciated because there's still people who, who think what I did was wrong or don't understand why I did what I did. And that's why the book is here in the first place. So people can get a snapshot of who I am and what it is that I, that I believe. But I, th I think a lot of people have grown to respect it. So um, in chapter nine, you discuss the growing pressure to prove allyship during the um, experience in the NBA bubble. Um, you referenced the term ally as a coveted label and that fear of being labeled racist was very real. How did the fear of cancel culture play a role in the atmosphere created during these games? Um, I don't, for our, again, if our listeners don't remember um, the uh, message, the slogan, Black Lives Matter, was painted on the courts 
um, yeah. in, in, in the bubble. It was, it was unavoidable. Um, how did you personally navigate, um, you know, such a tumultuous social uh, environment considering the, the constant media attention that um, uh, being in the bubble um, created? Yeah, e even before the bubble in the lead up, like all you had to do was turn on your TV, go on social media, and you would see company after company, you know, almost tripping over themselves to get that label of ally and how people who didn't go about it were, were again condemned and, and called racist and all these other things because they wouldn't they wouldn't profess, you know, in, in the way that the Black Lives Matter movement organization wanted them to. And so um, I, I think for me, it was like, I, I'm not going to let that influence my decision. Um, I want this thing to be true to me. And, and again, I, I, I believed in what I was standing for. It wasn't something that you know, me saying Jesus is the answer wasn't just because it was cliche, it's because he's been the answer for me. And so uh, that's what kind of gave me the the courage and the passion to go with it. But but yeah, I, you know, seeing the Black Lives Matter on the court, on the buses, all these different things, again, a, a slogan that I completely agree with and, and, and think that the majority of people do agree with, it was just the way that they went about it. They, they didn't give people an option, uh, a choice um, as to how they wanted to show their support to the to, to Black lives. You know, they kind of professed the only way to do it was in this way. And so, um, you know, a lot of people were turned off by it. I think that I think that's apt because I think so many people felt like if they were to engage in a conversation, then there was sort of an implicit understanding that there would be no kind of back and forth and um, reason dialogue. And that's, I think, what made a lot of people hesitant to even engage in um, you know, frank discussion with their friends, family members, um, colleagues. And it made me remember that the friends you, you have are the friends who will tell you when you're you're wrong. The friends who are you know willing to be critical of you, you know, surrounding yourself with um, sycophants and yes men. Uh, my gosh, uh, I I can't think of a worse fate um, than than having people not be genuine with you. Um, do, do you know, have that real, sense? Real quick, real quick. I, I was I was stuck on the elevator of 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 a hotel not too long ago. And I was with um this this Asian lady. And, you know, we started to have a conversation and it kind of got towards, you know, who are you? What are you doing? And I told her about the book. And one of the stories that she mentioned to me was that she had a friend, um, you know, a, a black lady. There was a friend who who she was friends with for a long time, like 10 plus years. She had watched the lady's son grow up, um, um, you know, was there for the family, all those different things, was just a good friend. And because she didn't post a black square on Instagram, she got a message from that friend saying, your silence is noted um, you know, our friendship is over or something like that. And so again, you know, to that point of like everything that happened before that moment was canceled her relationship with her, her, you know, seeing her son grow up, all that stuff was canceled because of this moment. And because of the, the only way to, to, to approve your, your allegiance was to do something, was to post a black square to go about it a certain way. And then one of the moment, the, the stories that I was just like, oh, wow, um, that sucks. But again, it's, it speaks of how just crazy <laughs> the times and the moment were because of you know what tragically happened to George Floyd. Mm -hmm. So you've mentioned a couple times how how much pressure that you felt in that moment deciding to stand and how much was weighing on that decision, not just in that moment, not just in your relationships with your teammates, but with your career as well and, and putting that on the line. Um, can you can you describe kind of a little bit some of the the, the that pressure like what was was there a very real fear that your contract may not be continued um what what was on the line there and, and why did you still decide to make that choice in that in that moment 
Well, I, I didn't sleep the night before. Very, very barely did I sleep. And, and because I was going over, you know, what could possibly happen. And, you know, people were getting canceled off of Twitter and all those different things because of, you know, saying certain things or saying things about COVID, saying things about Black Lives Matter. And so um, there, there was a fear in me about like, well, you know, if this blows up and the team sees it as something that is a nuisance or they have to come out and, and, and make a statement against what I did, you know, there could be a chance where they say, we don't want this headache and we're going to not, you know, not extend this contract. Um, you know, thank God that that didn't happen. And I was able to sign a great contract and I'm still with the magic, but, um, you know, that was definitely a fear that that could have, that could have not worked out, especially seeing all the stories of people getting canceled and, and you know, their careers being terminated because of something that they believed. And so, so yeah, so th that, that was there. Um, and then just my own internal fear of, of, of doing something that I knew people weren't going to agree with, you know, a, a lot of my life and especially my childhood was so uh, condition to want to please people and want people around me to like me and love me for me. Um, and something that I've really struggled with and it's only by God's grace and just developing my relationship with him and the people that I have around me that have helped me to find my identity in him. Um, and it's something that I'm still working on, but my own inner fears and anxiety about, you know, being called names and being plastered all over Twitter is something that I, that I'm not, um, you know, went into it as well, but I, I decided to do it. And anyway. Yeah. As, as someone who, finds so much of his identity in, in God and has found the strength to continue to make difficult decisions. And you've referenced multiple times this reliance on God and this ability to see your identity in him. Has it been difficult to sometimes express that that is where this is coming from, um, that this is coming from a place of love and somewhere that you've, that you've come from a place of anxiety and struggle to, to now being embraced by God? Has that been difficult, especially in a politically charged issue to kind of explain to the people why why you've made the choices that you've made? Yeah, I, I think that that's a fantastic question. Um, and I would say, yes, it has to a degree. I, I think that, be, again, speaking to how polarized our time is, you know, as soon as someone like me decided to stand, it was like, he's standing for the flag. He loves America. This is why he did it in third. And then you have the people on the other side. Uh, you know, he, he hates himself and he doesn't love black people and all these different things. And he's a traitor. Um, but it was something, you know, completely outside of the two. And so it, it has been difficult to kind of sit with people and say, you know what, the decision I made, it wasn't political. It wasn't about a side. Um, you know, uh, it, it, it was about love being the answer for me and that, you know, we, we need Christ at the end of the day. And so some people look at me like, uh, what, what, what is that going to truly do <laughs> to the world that we live in? But as I'm able to give an account of my life and what it's done in my life and how it's transformed me and it's still transforming me, that's what I'm hoping that people can walk away and say, ah, I understand why Jesus is the answer because of the way that he's changed this young man's life and, and countless others. Now that, 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 that's a powerful, um, uh, it's a powerful force in your life. Um, one of the things that we often will, will discuss uh, in, our, in our programs and in the, the meetings that we convene at the James Wilson Institute is that uh, sort of the, the, the preaching of radical equality that um, you know, Christ had at the core of, of his mission um, was the same animating force, I think, behind the American founding. Um, and uh, it's not incompatible to understand America as being um, in concert with the teachings of Christ. Of course, um, we as Americans, we, we strive every day to, you know, to realize, as Lincoln said, um, the more perfect union, um, but that uh, understanding the two as incompatible, I think, um, uh, falls short of um, what all of us as Americans are, are you know, are, are, are called towards in, in, you know, this 
experiment in self-government. Um, it, it certainly relies upon all of us um, to remember that you know, we may have rights, but those rights are predicated on all of us sharing those rights um, equally. Um, you know, as you would talk about you know these topics with your with your teammates, um, did they ever say to you, Jonathan? You know, not all of us believe in you know God the same way you do. Um, is there is there something else you can you know you can kind of access with me, um, or did they? You know, embrace your, um, your 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 religious perspective, but maybe they didn't share it. I'm I'm genuinely curious. Yeah, no, because a locker room is just as diverse. I think you know, in in thoughts, um, as you know, let's say you got 12 people in a jury box, and they all had to make a decision uh, together. Um, you never know how it's going to come out. Right, right, for sure. And and I think another great question is like, uh, the the thing that I was trying to get my teammates to understand was that uh. That, that I'm an individual, just like they're an individual. And they made a decision because of something that they believed in. And one of the things that Doc said to me on the phone after we had our second team meeting, after I decided to stand and guys were coming at me about hijacking the movement and making it all about me, he said, look, those guys knelt for what they believed in and you stood for what you believed in. It's the same thing. And so what I tried to get them to understand, it was like, yo, I see the same things that you guys see. I, I, I saw what happened to George Floyd. I see what goes on in our country. Um, but I believe the answer to be something different than your answer. And I'm only asking for the same respect that I gave you. When all those guys were going around the room saying, we don't have a choice, we're going to kneel. I wasn't like, yo, what the heck? Are you guys crazy? How could you possibly do that? No, I gave them the respect to say, you know what? You're a grown man and that's the decision you want to make. And when it comes to when it comes to America, it's like, yo, my, my, my pastor says this all the time when it comes to us as humans. And he says, you haven't done everything wrong, but you haven't done everything wrong either. And so when I think about America, of course, there are tragedies, the terrible things that have happened in our past slavery, all that stuff. Yeah, but America has done good things too. And, and the, to be afforded freedom and to do what I do and to play basketball um, in the way that we do and, and to be a part of this experiment, like you said, that has all these different cultures, all these different ethnicities in one place and we can function, you know, commonly, you know, to a, to a degree, some places better than others, um, in a way is remarkable. And, and it absolutely is predicated on, um, you know, the constitution and what went into, you know, uh, you know, us becoming a country in the first place and the, the, the virtues and the values that was founded upon it. And so, so, so yeah, so I, I try my best to get guys to understand that, you know, it's, I'm an individual and I'm free to believe what I want to believe in, in that encourage other people to stand up and believe what you believe in and, and have enough courage and, and trust in God to, to declare it, declare it. One of the things I, I really hope our listeners take away from this conversation is that it took such a tremendous amount of courage from you, not only to stand in the first place, but to remain standing once the spotlight was on you and you know, sports center blogs across the country, you know, they were, they were writing about you for you know, weeks, if not months. Um, do you feel like this personal trait of yours, this 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 courage, uh, was it ever tested in any way um, before this moment that allowed you to have the kind of conviction and confidence that um, you know truth would win out, um, or was this really your crucible? You know, was this moment really the moment that revealed something to you about yourself that you didn't know uh, until? Yeah. So I, part of the reason why there's a book in the first place is because 
there are so many moments that went into that stand. It, it, it really was not just a moment. It really was a journey to, to becoming the individual that was willing to stand up for what he believes in, um, no matter what anyone else has to say about it. And so, like we talked about struggling with anxiety, struggling with fear, um, that's where I started. And it's because of those small moments of facing courage and having somebody around me like Dr. Hepburn and my now wife and the church family and my family to to, to help guide me down this path of growing up and, and, and growing as a man of God to get to this place. I'm saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do what I feel is right, no matter what anybody else has to say about it. So it's, it's definitely a journey and, and detailed in the book, you know, I'm sure, like you guys have read it, there are so many of these small moments of courage, the preaching for the first time, speaking to that teammate in this hotel room, all of these little things where I was like, wow, I can trust God and it does work out and, and, and kind of, you know, having to walk out faith in the NBA and all these different things has helped, you know, me to become who I am today, but not without the help of, of others. How would you encourage others to go about navigating such a tumultuous and volatile political climate? Have you been able to communicate um, well with others and having conversations and sharing your heart? Uh, what have you learned from uh, your, your experience that might be helpful for um, those of us who you know, haven't been engaging, um, you know, uh, as, as much on these issues? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would first say what I've tried my best to do is 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 articulate myself, you know, humbly and openly, and with the goal of winning the other side. Um, you know, so much of political discourse today and cultural discourse is, I'm right, you're wrong, and if you have any other differing opinion from mine, um, then you're crazy, or you know, whatever it's, nicknames the left throws to the right and the right throws to the left. And so um, what I've tried my best to do is when I'm engaging in conversation and discourse and all those things is, is do it from a standpoint of trying to understand where the person is coming from and then share in a way that I'm trying to win them and not have them storm out the room, you know, upset and we're, we made no progress. Um, I would say, secondly, you know, when the things happened with George Floyd and also even COVID, you know, my first reaction was a human one. I was upset. I was I was angry about what had happened. But what I tried my best to do was not come from my perspective or being a black man in America's perspective, but to come from God's perspective and say, you know what, if I want to be forgiven by God, I have to forgive people. Um, and whatever mercy I show to other people, the same mercy will be showed unto me. And so th those are the ways that, you know, if, if people are having conversations around, how do we get involved? How do we, when something tragic happens, because this isn't the last time something tragic is going to happen. It's going to continue to happen because because we're humans and we're going to continue to do what humans do. Um, but what is our response going to be like in those moments? Is, is it going to be another Black Lives Matter? Is it going to be another right versus left? Or are people going to raise up and say, you know what, how does God, you know, how would God go about the situation? How does he see it? And then try to, to move in that way. And so that, that's, that's what I would say. And again, just encourage people that you, the same thing that my pastor told me, you cannot stand for God and God not stand for you. And, um, you know, to let it be genuine, to be your own individual thought, think about the things that you're that you're thinking about and and come come from a place of sincerity. And, and, and no matter what anybody else has to say about it, they can take away your individuality and your 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 your, you know, your room to think. Thank you so much for continuing to talk with us and, and allowing us to read your book. Um, as I was a college athlete who struggled, struggled with major anxiety. And so reading your book and seeing you speak personally from that perspective was very um, impactful for me and to be able to see that your journey to get to this stand, that this stand was not a moment, but it was a journey and it was a lifetime up to this point um, to get to that place and that God had put things in your life that allowed you to grow, to be able to make that decision in that moment. Um, would you just be willing to share with us a little bit about what you've learned since that moment? When yeah, you, so when I, you I, 
as you were talking, and I, I appreciate that. I really do. Thank you so much. As you were talking and you talked about the journey of getting to this stand, the thing that popped in my head is like, oh, it's still a journey. And so just like you're talking about, like, what has God showed me past that? It's like, oh, this, there's, there's still work to be done. And it's a process. And um, there's ups and there's downs. And 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 part of the reason why I got hurt in the, the next game was because I was in my own head. And I was thinking about me. And I was making it about me. And um, so moments like that was like, well, I, I still have a lot of work to do. And I've been able to focus on God and turn it into a book, turn it into positive things. But there, there's absolutely, you know, st still a journey out there that Jonathan Isaac has to go, go down and continue to grow and, 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 and prosper and fail and all these different things. But um, that's the beauty of having a relationship with crisis that is love is unconditional. Um, and even when we fail, you know, he's right there to pick us back up and, and get back on the road again. Thank you for your, your vulnerability in your book. And as you've spoken with us, as you've just been willing to share how, how you've gotten where, where you are now and, and where you want to go and, and all the things that come between. I, the book is very compelling and I would encourage all of our listeners to, to pick up a copy because it it, it's more than just a stand. It's, it's a journey to get to the stand. And I think that's incredibly impactful. Well, uh, Jonathan, we can't thank you enough. It's, it's not often on, on this podcast that we're met with somebody who not only talks about principle, but also lives it. And um, your book is just such a powerful testament to um, courage, as we said, um, but also your willingness to explain um, just what went into it. Uh, oftentimes, we hear too many people who you know, espouse perfectly intelligible principles, but they don't give us a roadmap, or they don't give us a lived example um, to back it up. And so, you know, thank you for, for, of course, you know, everything that you've done, but also for chronicling it. Um, we, we can't recommend the book more highly. I appreciate that, my man. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I, I loved and enjoyed the questions and I just give the, God the glory. Thank you. Once again, the book is Why I Stand, available at fine booksellers nationwide. And we'll make sure to include a link to the publisher, Daily Wire Books, on our website if you'd like to support uh, Jonathan uh, directly. So once again, um, thank you so much, Jonathan. This was a real treat. This program has been brought to you by the James Wilson Institute on Natural Rights in the American Founding. If you'd like to learn more about the James Wilson Institute, please visit jameswilsoninstitute.org. Thanks for listening.